Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, the Renault Dealer of the Year and most Google-reviewed dealership in Ireland. For award-winning customer service you can trust, visit us today. Blackstone Motors, drive with peace of mind. 041-983-1100. You're very welcome to Wednesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Lots of interesting chat to come over the next couple of hours. But first, I'm delighted to be joined in studio by an old schoolmate of mine. Yes, he was a year ahead of me. We served together on the Dominican altar. And I'm sure lots of people in late lunch land will remember the beautiful Carlton restaurant on Narrow West Street in Drogheda. A legendary place. Well, one of the family is back with me on the show today. I'm delighted to welcome to late lunch, Roger O'Reilly. Roger, good to see you again. Thanks very much. Do you remember those days, Roger? I certainly do. It's hard to forget. <laughs> great days, though. Yeah. They were great days. They were. And I suppose that all these years later, we look back with fondness. Tell us about the Carlton and your family, the history of it, before we talk about the subject matter you're here to discuss today. Um, well, the Carlton, obviously, um, for those who remember it, and unfortunately, it's, it's not still there, found it actually by my grandmother, who came back from America. She had uh, emigrated off to America, came back. Um, and um, she went to Belfast first of all and worked in the Carlton Hotel in Belfast and that's where the name came from um, and so she came back to Drogheda and uh, set up uh, her business on Narrow West Street and um, ran that for years and then my father took it over and uh, he retired then in the 1980s late ni- 1980s and um, in a sense I suppose unfortunately none of the family uh, wanted to take it over we all had to gone off and done our own things and so it eventually closed and I think it was taken over by the Hurleys for a while um, and they ran um, a great hamburger place out of that and unfortunately as I say it's not still there But it really was a classy place, it was a go-to I remember Roger when we were on the altar, yeah. our Christmas outing every second year used to be with your dad and mum there, yes? That's right, yeah yeah. That um, was a political thing wasn't it? That, <laughs> well it was, it was the, the church politics, one year it was the Carlton one year it was the White Horse Hotel because of course the, the McArdle family uh, there was loads of them, they were serving on, the, on the, um, the altar as well and the interesting thing was because they were in town, we lived in out in Betty's town even though we had the Carlton on West Street they lived above the hotel so they used to serve 7 o'clock mass and George Hoy who ran the whole scheme down there had this point system and 7 o'clock mass got numbered the top number of points 10 points and by the time you got the 8 o'clock mass it had dropped down to 7 and so on and so they always came in at Christmas with the most amount of points <laughs> so they got the top prize um, and one year I remember it was a, a miniature snooker table I mean it was, back here. It was where George prize, got all it? this stuff from is beyond me but so you paid the price for living where you lived there and doing the later mass and that of course was a league table for the altar boys and at the end of the year there was a top altar by every and as you said there was a prize for that oh memories memories Roger it was a great time now you went to school like myself to St Joseph's CBS at Sunday's Gate in Drogheda that's right yeah yeah 
You say yourself, and your own words, that you were a bit of a doodler at school. What do you mean by that? Um, I used to always be drawing in the margins of the of the, the books. In fact, I remember Brother McKinney um, getting me back in one day to um, to plane down one of the desks that I had covered in doodles. Um, he wasn't at all pleased that uh, his desks were being wrecked. So I had to come in with some sandpaper and basically get the finish back down and varnish it. Um, and of course, I was told that you know that this would never amount to anything. You know that I really should be paying attention to my geography. So that's why I'm here with a book of illustrations. <laughs> but look at horses for courses, and I suppose Absolutely. in those yeah. days, uh, Brother McKinney, especially who's a famous teacher in the school, had a big emphasis on the academia. But as we know now, there's an awful lot more to life and a huge, broad skill set. And you had one of those skills that was maybe a niche skill at the time, but you developed brilliantly. When you left school, where did you go? When I left school, um, I first of all got a went the usual thing, a couple of different jobs. Uh, one of them was working in the airport, um, but I then went back to art college late. I went back when I was twenty one, and um, having come out of that, I decided I wanted to get into the design. And I did design in Drogheda for I'd say about six or seven years, um, and I was always interested in the, the layout, the, doing the drawing part of it. Um, and so I saw this uh, course um, in doing storyboarding and went and did that and um, and that's how I ended up doing storyboarding for movies and for advertising and um and, and that's where this whole project came out of. Um, yeah, it's yeah. a fantastic project. So you're here today to talk in particular about Lighthouses of Ireland, an illustrated guide to the sentinels that guard our coastline. And it's an absolutely beautiful, beautiful book. Why Lighthouses? Had it anything to do with you living in Bettystown on the coast? I didn't think so because I'm, I moved to Kilkenny um, almost must be 12 years ago now from Dublin. I was living in Dublin um, and it's about as far from a lighthouse as you can get. It's right in the centre of, of, of the country. And from time to time we used to go down to, to uh, Hookhead to see the lighthouses and um, I started illustrating Hookhead and a couple of the other lighthouses down along the south coast. And it was only when somebody said to me are you not going to do the ones in Drogheda? Because I hadn't really considered them lighthouses. I always thought of them as pilot houses. And I said, oh, yeah, I'd better do those. And I went back up uh, out to Mornington, out to the, to the Maiden's Tower. And just you know, out there, just something about the air just took me right back. And I remembered as a kid going down there on our bikes. And we'd be down there. Once the lights came on and those pilot lights, you know, you knew it was time to go home for tea. Off you go head off on your bike back up uh, to the house. And there was just something about them up there on the boroughs. They were like something from a H.G. Wells movie, um, especially when they were lit up, at, you know, in, in, the, in the twilight. And, um, and it, it was really like revisiting old friends. This was what it felt like. It was kind of coming back to, you know, almost being a child again. So, uh, yeah, it, it, the funny thing was it was always there. I just didn't recognise yeah. it. So the inspiration has come from where you once lived for the greater Absolutely. part of Absolutely. your life. Yeah. Let's talk about Mornington and the boy nestery there. I always remember, like yourself as a child, getting the bus out there and going to the boroughs yeah. summertime. It was a great place for young children to go from Drogheda and the greater area. Yeah. And I can still see up on this metal stilt that white structure yeah. of a lighthouse. Yeah. Is that the main lighthouse at the estuary? Um, it used to be. The North Light was the was the main. They're all decommissioned now. All three of them yes. are decommissioned. Um, the Harbour Board have taken it over the North Light in the sense that they're going to restore it. And it's, it's going to be the start of the eventually. Is that the one I'm talking about? This is the one you're talking about. And yeah. yet it's on the south side of the river. Um, well, they're all on the south side of the river. The idea was to guide the boats into the, into the in, in past the sandbar. There used to be, before the, the causeway was built there, there used to be a sandbar on the river. And this would shift. 
So the other two lights, the east and west lights, were actually on rails so that they could be moved as the sandbar moved. They could be moved because they're what you call leading lights. So if you're coming into the river, you get the two lights lined up and you know you're going in the right direction. You're not going to hit the sandbar. Um, but interestingly enough, the Maiden's Tower was the original lighthouse there, if you like. There was never a light on it, but it was painted white. So during the day, when you came in to the approach to the Boyne, you could see the tower there and you knew that that was your, your point to aim for and to bring your ship in. Um, so it was what they call a day marker um, and it would have originally been whitewashed. Mm. Um, but the three lights that are there, I mean, it's great that they're still there and hopefully the restoration will extend to the other two because the east and west light, I, I think, are fascinating too. Mm. The way that if you stand in the, in the dunes at a certain point, you can see the two of them just straight ahead of you. Interestingly, what you say about the burrows, I've said to people um, down along the south coast, you know, that I used to love messing around the burrows in Drogheda. Nobody knows what the, what burrows means mm. outside of Drogheda. It's one of those... Uh, Colloquialisms. North, yeah, North Dublin, they kind of understand mm. it. Go beyond there. It's sand dunes. It's they don't, dunes. It's yes, dunes. They don't yes we always knew them as the boroughs. And boroughs yeah. Are you going to the boroughs in yeah, Morningtown yeah, yeah. for your picnic this afternoon and a swim in the sea? Yeah, exactly. Famous, yeah. famous. Interesting, interesting, yeah. Roger. Now, when you when you talk about the restoration, so that that is happening yeah. as part of this whole Boyne walkway thing. Yeah, which it? will eventually extend to Slane and onwards to, to Navan. I mean, we've seen part of it out, out by Oldbridge. Yes. Um, you know, and it's going to be great that you can go the whole way. You know. From from the Boyne Street mm. to Navan, I think it's fantastic to see these. We've seen it down at Warford with the um, with the, uh, the Greenway, the Greenway. You know, to mm. see these kind of things being developed, is, I think it's mm. wonderful. Yeah. The lights are still operational. The lights are still operate. Well, sorry, the, the Boyne ones aren't, but the ones in the, most of the ones I have in the book are still are the operational lights. Mm. Most of those are, are operated by the commissioners of Irish Lights, um, and so they are you know the big ones that we're all aware of, the likes of Hookhead, of Fastnet. Of the Cork Coast, of Tusker Rock, anybody who takes a ferry from Rosslair, you know, to, to to Wales will see that. All the ones in Dublin, the Bailey, all of those are featured in the book, and they're looked after by the commissioners of Irish Lights. But there are a couple of interesting ones, like Beaves Rock down in the Shannon Estuary, and it's operated by, I think it's the uh, Limerick Harbour Board. It's actually in County Clare, but it, it it guides ships through the estuary, which is incredibly wide at that point. Um, and just uh, it goes past some um, submerged rocks. Back to Mornington, it was manned, was it at one stage? Um, yeah, they would have. They would have. Had, well, they would have had keepers nearby. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, you obviously there was no need to live in the actual yes. structure itself. But they would have had keepers, and they would have been acetylene. Um, originally, probably would have been whale oil uh, lamps that were used in it, um, and it would have needed um, regular maintenance and upkeep. Um, I mean, as a kid, I remember we used to go down there, and you know, the odd time the gate would be left open, you know, and you'd climb up the ladder and into it. Um, but there obviously were still people there uh, mm. maintaining the, the structure. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think I can remember vaguely in my youth uh, seeing somebody actually going into it and yeah. tending to it as well at exactly. that stage. Yeah. When was it decommissioned? 2002. So it's not that quite long ago. Recently, yeah, quite really. recently, really. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't yeah. it be lovely, and please God it will, be fully restored and the others as well. What an addition that would be to the I, area. I think it would be fantastic. And In fact, they've restored the dome on the, um, the lighthouse in Balbriggan Harbour. Um, and the interesting thing about that is that it, it existed without the dome for so many years with just a small little light on the top on a pillar. Um, and so now they've got the dome back in and it's it's not an operational lighthouse in the way we see it, but um, but it's beautifully illuminated. And it'd be lovely to see these structures in Mornington illuminated in the same way so that you go down there at night time and you could see them sitting there in the burrows kind of blinking away across Fantastic. the horizon. Wouldn't that be good?
While you're here, we have lots of listeners in the North County Dublin area as well, right, and right along the coast here, and I know they're listening today. We have to talk about Rockabill and Skerries, and right. it's linked with the Drogheda Commissioners. It is linked with the Drogheda Commissioners because the, the, the Drogheda Harbour Board, or the, the, the Masters of the Harbour, um, requested that Rockabill be built because they wanted a light to guide ships down along the coast. And, um, you know, again, in Bettystown, especially on a foggy night, I could see Rockabill, you know, um, rotating off in the distance. And you'd, you would hear the, the the sound of the ships on the horizon as they were waiting to enter port. And they were relying on Rockabill, you know, to make sure that they were the right distance away from from the shore. Um, and it's a fascinating place. When I was when I was actually uh, illustrating it, usually when I do these illustrations, I'll first of all go out with a sketchbook and do a couple of sketches and take uh, some reference photographs. So with Rockabill, I went out tide was out there was some lovely rocks out there I went out got the big rock behind my back so I was out of the wind and started sketching away and there was a little puddle of water in front of me and um, after a while I noticed some fish in it I went no fish in that when I came out and I looked over my shoulder and the tide had come in and so I had to wade basically up to my waist back <laughs> to get back into shore. So that was a lesson. And when you're doing oh, lighthouses, Roger. always be careful of the tide. Time and tide, Time wait and for tide. no man. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, you nearly uh, were caught on the hop there. But thank God you, you no, made your way in. And this book is the result of all these hours put in. So Rockabill is, is different to the Drogheda ones we spoke about because it is still an active working lighthouse. It's still an active working lighthouse and it's what's called a sea lighthouse. So it's, it's out at sea. And what it when it uh, became operational, it basically replaced Balbriggan, which is why Balbriggan sort of became just a harbour light, um, to the extent now that Balbriggan, for so many years, as I said, had had no dome on it. Um, it just wasn't cared for in the same way. Um, and Rockabill is uh, is a very tall, lovely lighthouse. You can actually get a trip out there during the summer. There's the scary tours take will take you out to the lighthouse, and and it's a. Um, it's a, a a sanctuary for roseate terns, which are very very aggressive birds. They don't like people coming into their territory, so you'd probably be better off wearing a helmet if you go out there. <laughs> you you know? go there. Yeah, don't go near the nests anyway. Little sure. footnote from Roger this yeah. afternoon to take care of if you go on a visit. You know, lighthouses have featured in advertising through the years and loneliness and lighthouses and the lot of the lighthouse keeper is something Mm. that's come up with you again as well. Yeah, yeah, they they, they all have interesting stories because the lighthouse keepers, especially what were called rock stations, the the ones offshore, um, usually you'd be out there for three weeks, but that was depending on weather. Up until helicopters became available, it was depending on weather. And um, in one case, the lighthouse keepers on the on the um, Black Rock uh, lighthouse off the coast of Mayo, um, they were stranded there for 117 days. That's almost three months without provisions. The guy who provided them with provisions managed to get out, believe it or not, in a rowing boat in the middle of a storm and dump some stuff on shore. Um, but couldn't uh, bring back any of the keepers. Um, but 117 days stuck out there. I mean, you'd go kind of crazy, wouldn't you? It caused strain in marriages as well, didn't it? I would imagine. I would imagine it was very, very difficult for a lot of people. But in in many ways, you know, people were more resilient then. That this was the expectation. It would, that this was not going to be an easy life. And a lot of the, the lighthouse keepers talked about the fact that, um, you know, while it was a tough life. They knew what they were uh, in for. They knew they would have a great provision of coal. They knew they would have food on the table. Um, but they knew it was going to be a tough life. Um, in, in many ways, like farmers would have been back in those days. You know, you weren't expecting a cushy life and you weren't going to get it. 
In the book, uh, Lighthouses of Ireland, that you've produced, it's marvellous and the work in it is just outstanding. You've contributed to the remembrance of these places, may I say, for posterity as well. I'm sure you understand that. Yeah, it's an 18th century technology and its time is almost up in in some kind of ways. Um, It's like most ships now have GPS and, you know, they can... more or less find a way wherever they want to go. But they still rely on the lighthouses as a backup system and in some ways it's just a comfort. The, the first thing you see when you come home is that light um, out on, on on the horizon. So it's great in that respect. But it's not hard to see that in 50 years' time they'll, you know, their, their use will almost be over mm-hmm. and they're very expensive to maintain. So... Um, the lighthouse, the commissioners of Irish Lights um, have to kind of come up with some sort of um, plan for how we're going to keep these in the future. And so there's the, the Great Lighthouses of Ireland Initiative and the Landmark Trust have opened up some of the lighthouses so you can now stay in the keepers' houses. Um, in one case, you can stay in one of the old lighthouses itself, which is not as much fun as you'd think because every time you wanted to go, go for a pee, you have to go down two floors. Um <laughs> But uh, but staying in the keepers' houses is, is fantastic, and you're out there in most spectacular parts of the country. Um, so you know, I'd certainly recommend it. Um, it's well worth. There's well always worth the party, it. Roger. If you're <laughs> there is always taken the short from years ago, we go back again at the end so, of this so long, conversation. So long as it's number one. <laughs> You're so right, you're so right. Listen, I just wanted to say to you, thank you for uh, dropping into us today to chat about your new book. It is wonderful. It's simply wonderful. Check it out. Lighthouses of Ireland, an illustrated guide to the sentinels that guard our coastline by Roger O'Reilly, a local man. And it's brilliant. And well done to you. Congratulations again on what you've produced. It's a masterpiece. Thanks very much. Yes, we have a number of people asking us about Roger's book. You can check it out on irelandposters.ie. That's Roger's website, his own. You should go in and have a look at it. He's, he's absolutely brilliant. Ireland posters.ie is the website and the book is Lighthouses of Ireland an illustrated guide to the sentinels that guard our coastline and wanted to know Jerry, were the Queensborough red bricked houses uh, related to the lighthouses I know those houses they're on the uh, north side of the River Boyne the, the lights are on the south side and so I wouldn't think there's a relationship there there could be what do I know but that's just me putting two and two together and getting ten uh, you know I, I, I'm not 100% sure but it seems, I think the people who looked after that, that main lighthouse as well at Mornington there, they lived on the Mornington, the south side of the river. Thanks indeed. If you want to get in touch with us on the show or comment, don't forget the usual numbers. It's open WhatsApp 086-1800-658 is the WhatsApp number. Or you can text us on the very same number as well. Sinead is opening the WhatsApp. She is. Yeah, don't be, don't be, don't, had you open? Be honest now. Come on, tell me. Was the WhatsApp open? Oh yes, of course. Of course, was that open. woman is yes. like the battery ever ready anyway just whirring here (laughs) warming itself up did you ever like you know I can remember I said to Roger there going to Mornington in my case and I'm sure many people living along the coast went to the beaches when they were smaller did you do that oh my god Jerry! every Sunday because my grandparents on my dad's side lived there in uh, do you know where Harry's shop is in Mornington a lot of people know Harry's shop yeah just up from Harry's shop and uh, we played uh, in the dunes, we called them, uh, jumping through them, jumping round them, hiding in them, jumping out at each other, all that kind of thing. You see, everyone would descend on Granny's house of a Sunday. That was right. kind of the thing. And if in the summertime you were playing out in the dunes, if winter time, kind of when it was rainy and that kind of thing, we got a trip to the um, video library. 
Right. McDonald's video library mm-hmm. where we would spend probably an hour trying to choose which video a that movie. we were going to have and out we'd go and we'd be in one room and the adults would be in the good room and you might be given a pound to go to Harry's shop. And that was it in your winter time. But yeah. when the weather was good, summertime, you were down playing dunes, in the... Yeah. And, and obviously what you're talking about there was only a short walk down to the yeah, dunes we and, and the beach in morning. Yeah. We used to get the bus because we never had a car when I was small. Oh, yeah, we used to get yeah. the bus out from the old bus depot in Drogheda, which was down beside Scotch Hall. You know St Mary's Bridge there? That's where the buses went from. Oh, There was yes, a little place there yes. for buses and they went out to Mornington and in summertime they ran regular you know in and out and I suppose it's just a figment of my imagination summer seemed to be gorgeous when I was growing up <laughs> in the do. 70s that's like the, the, the fond looking yeah, back thing yeah probably weren't but I do have that memory of, of lovely lovely summers and going out there with my mum and our friends and bringing a big picnic and putting the blankets out in the dunes and the women had the children the men were out working at that stage mm-hmm. you know the women minded the, the children kids, something yep. we alluded to with uh, John Waters when he was looking yeah. back at Ireland yesterday with us on Friday and uh we spent days on end there, you know, out swimming, running down the dunes, playing games. And then you had to hightail it down near to where you're talking about, to Harry's yeah. there, to get the bus back into Drogheda and then walk from the depot oh, back home. You were flogged tired, I'd say. I'll you? tell you one thing. There was no need to rock you to sleep when it came to evening time. It was just yeah. bump down on the pillow and gone. Memories, memories of absolutely lovely days uh, by the seaside. But wouldn't it be great to see uh, the ones that are disused at the moment, all those lights restored. Oh, restored again, and, yeah. And, and there for posterity, you but know. there's something, oh, you know, really mysterious or something about a lighthouse. There is, isn't, isn't there? there? Yeah. yeah. But like, and I know they're kind of a lonely thing as well. Mm. And I know he sort of, Roger touched on that as well, this kind of idea of the lighthouse keeper living alone yes. up there kind of thing, you yeah. know. But yeah. I, I think there's a mystery as well. There is, them. especially at night time when you see the lights and you see the, what they're there for, to guide ships mm. and keep them safe away from uh, rock crops in, in, out in the sea and that, and as well to guide ships into uh, the mouths of, of rivers and harbours and that as well. There's something really, really special about them and they really do add to the, the sea uh, coastline landscape. We're heading towards news at two. Afterwards, it's World Diabetes Day and we're going to meet a, a man who was diagnosed with diabetes two years ago. But into news and weather, let's go there with The Temptations. Did you know that today is World Diabetes Day? And here's a startling fact. Five Irish children and teenagers are diagnosed each week with type 1 diabetes. So it's a significant thing in this country, never mind all those who live and will be diagnosed with type 2. I'm joined on Late Lunch this afternoon by Cahal Fleming. Now, he's not a child or a youngster by any means, but Cahal, at 37 years of age, a couple of years ago, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And we're going to hear his story today. 
today. Carl, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks Thank you very me. much. Delighted to have you here with us this afternoon. Mm-hmm. So let's get straight to it. You're, you're a healthy fella through your teens, 20s, into your 30s. You don't look like a guy to me that's ever carried a lot of weight, no? Mm-hmm. No, no. You were healthy, not. fit? Yeah, I've always been fit the last 20 years anyway. I've done a lot of sport, mm. a lot of exercise. So, yeah, it was a bolt out of the blue to, to get this. How were you feeling? What what were the symptoms? What raised the alarm? Well, I wasn't feeling great the week beforehand. I had a bit of a heavy cold, but I suppose I continued on. Then I had an insatiable thirst that just wouldn't go away, no matter how much uh, Coke, you know, orange juice, apple juice, whatever I drank, just wouldn't get rid of the thirst. I was going to the bathroom a lot more as well. And uh, after a few days, and I said, no, there's something not right here. So that's when I went to the, happened to be going to the doctor with my daughter at the time. And I mentioned to the doctor and he did a, a quick uh, urine test there. And then and he said, there's a lot of sugar in there. And there's really probably only going to be one thing this is. So come back the next day for a blood test. And he confirmed it then. And it was uh, straight to the hospital then to to uh, speak to the consultant and the nurses. And within an hour or two, then they just he started injecting. And that's... That, that put me back to normal once I got uh, my first mm. injection so the thirst disappeared yeah it just disappeared overnight um, everything I, I felt fine after that knowing what the problem was and it was just a matter of adjusting then to daily injections and uh, obviously changed my diet uh, considerably mm. the thirst was the big thing anything mm. else you mentioned of course when you're drinking a lot you're going to be to the bathroom but some of the other symptoms yeah. for type 1 are a, a, a tiredness mm-hmm. a, a big tiredness that you feel loss of weight yeah, any of there, those there are two big symptoms I didn't notice either of those I mean I could have been tired at the time yeah. that was down to the cold it wasn't something I recognised and uh, the loss of weight no I didn't notice that but the thirst was a big giveaway for me. Mm. So you have to then start injecting immediately. Mm-hmm. What's that like? Um, well, I was never a fan of needles, and not many people are, but when you're told, you know, take this injection, uh, you'll feel a lot better. You just learn pretty quickly then how to inject. They're, it's not as bad as it used to be. They're small pens. They're, they're very similar to EpiPens, and mm. uh, it's, a, it's a very small uh, needle that you use. So you don't really feel anything you know so mm. um, I got used to it fairly quickly where do uh, you inject on your body uh, g- generally around the stomach and how yeah. often must you inject uh, well there's two different injections there's one that gives you 24 hour insulin so you do that daily once a day um, and then the other insulin is for when you're going to eat a meal or your sugar is too high uh, you take that to bring it down or before you're going to eat um, you, t- you take that so that could be once a day or it could be 10 times a day or more for it depends on the person it depends on the situation how do you know your sugar's too high well most people would prick their fingers for blood and they would they would check they need to be between a range and uh if it's if it's uh, above that range then they need to take some insulin uh thankfully i use a, a device on my arm um which i scan with my phone and that shows me uh, what my levels are so it's very easy to to keep in range when mm. i'm monitoring that how often do you monitor that during the day or do you wait till you feel maybe there's something up? No, no, I, I, it could be 20 to 40 times a day. It's literally just rubbing your phone against the side of your arm yeah. and that's it. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Uh, you don't feel anything. Um, and it just depending on how I'm feeling or what I'm doing that day, depends on how many times I scan myself. That's a brilliant device. The yeah, Libra free, Freestyle, it's known, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I've I come mean, across it before. Yeah, it's it's absolute game changer for mm. diabetics because... 
up to now and still most diabetics are pricking their finger and it's very difficult to do that all day every day and you're not sure what's going on in between uh, finger pricks so in the morning you could be at a certain level you might eat your breakfast then you mightn't test yourself till before lunch and you could be at maybe the same level again but you don't know what's happened in those few hours have you gone too high too low uh, you know, and that's the mm. that's the difference the uh, Libra makes. You can scan yourself. Because it'd be like a pin cushion. I can only imagine yeah. if you're at this and finding different areas and that. So yeah. that's it, it's the way it was. Yeah. This Libra freestyle. So mm. you have a sort of a patch, a couple of strips on your arm. No, it's, there. A, it's a round patch. It's a little bit bigger than a two euro coin. Okay, and that's and that's stuck onto my arm. I replace it every two weeks. How much and, does that cost? Uh, Sixty euro a fortnight. You get two weeks out of that, and the mm. phone. You have an app or something on the yeah, phone the, that the reads app, that. The app is free, so that's, it's a free. Yeah. Okay, but and now the the. the Sensors are free for for under eighteens now in the last which year, which is good, which is fantastic, and hopefully the HSC will see sense and uh, roll it out for all adults because the savings they'll make in the long term is huge, massive. But they don't see; they only see short term. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, yeah. and it's quite a and it, like it's one hundred and twenty a month you're mm-hmm. talking about yeah. paying, and that that has to be paid. Um, do you when you eat and uh, you're uh, eating at home during the day you're working you go out for something to eat are you always cognizant of what you're taking on board food wise and drink wise yeah unfortunately as a diabetic you have to make decisions every few minutes every few hours probably 30 40 decisions a day if you open the fridge you need to look closely what you can and can't eat if you're going out for meals it's very difficult because it might say chicken on the menu but you don't know what's what's in the sauce etc mm. you know so yeah it's 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 really difficult you're quite limited to what you can eat but if you do it right Mm. You mean you can, you can you can get by fine? It you keeps know? you stable enough. Yeah. It, there's a correlation between what you eat and drink and how your sugars are. Yeah. What what's good? What 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 can you eat loads of? Well, uh, the healthy stuff, I suppose, vegetables. Yeah. Um, what you can't really eat is, is the is the sugar. So anything with sugar is is uh, not a good idea. You know, so fizzy drinks, chocolate, Mars bar, sweets. Uh, then you have to be careful then as well with carbs as well because carbs turn into sugar. And that's more of a, a long-term effect inside you. So when you, you eat a bag of chips now, it'll probably be two hours before that really shows in your system mm. as sugar. So trying to manage that is, is very difficult and you have to gauge what um, what amount of insulin you need. To counteract to, that. To counteract that before it goes too high. You want to stop it from going high rather than reacting after. Because mm. then what happens is you can take too much insulin and then if you're too high and it brings it the opposite direction you go low and that's quite quite dangerous and that can happen quite fast okay so then you're back to taking more sugar to bring that back up so you're just in a constant uh, battle in, in yo-yo scenario yeah. there with it so pastas and uh, the, the, yeah. that are converted into sugar and things like that that we all take for granted yeah well there's no there's no reason why you can't have those foods but you yeah. just need to know what carb content mm. is in them and, and count for that mm. um, I prefer to chew to avoid them as much as possible and just uh, not worry about what it's going to um, ch- what sugar is going to develop yeah. inside my body so I, I try to avoid carbs and just stick to other foods it's a devil isn't it it is difficult it really does take mm-hmm. managing and as you say if you go somewhere and you don't know what's in something or add it onto something mm-hmm. it presents even more difficulty but in, in two years have you got better at managing this do you feel more oh, comfortable yeah, I mean, every, every, every day every week you get better you learn what what's what affects you and what doesn't so it's always I mean nearly every food in the supermarket every anything in a packet will have some sort of sugar in it so that's the challenge is is picking out the foods that suit you and the ones that don't if you don't attend to this what's the upshot do you lose consciousness what happens 
Well, if you go too low, which is you've probably had too much insulin or you haven't eaten um, enough sugar, it, it that's can happen pretty quickly and you know you, you'd start to feel a bit jittery or you yeah. start sweating and that can that can happen pretty quick and it can go downhill pretty quick and you could lose consciousness after that that's need, the extreme yeah and you need to get sugar into your body then um if you're the other end of the scale the other end is different because you can go quite high um for a period of time without not feeling effects some people feel them straight away and some people might go a week or two before getting any uh, real effects but that's when it gets pretty dangerous you get uh, ketones in your blood and you know your blood gets poisoned and you, you can go, uh, suffer ketoacidosis so that's you can go into a coma from that mm. so you need to get the, the the insulin down and get rid of the ketones out of, so you need to get your sugar levels down and the ketones out of your system and uh, get back to normal so it's 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 highs and lows it's yeah. definitely a yo-yo have you experienced either a low or a high in the last couple of years or have you managed yeah, to well, keep on yeah well lows would happen regularly enough yeah. I mean that, that could happen to you um, every couple of days or yeah. uh, once a week um, but you, you you get to know you when that's it. going to happen and it, yeah. It, yeah you manage it the highs as I said yeah you get the, the odd high you know maybe once a week once a fortnight but that, that can be uh, counteracted quickly if you're if you're watching yourself where did this come from? Is t- type one? Is it hereditary? What yeah. caused it? Do you ever think about this or ask questions? Where? Yeah, well, the consultant that diagnosed me that, that the first day I realised I had it said they should never have called them uh, type one and type two because they're very two very different uh, conditions. Type one, they still don't know why people are, are getting it. It used to be called juvenile diabetes, and it was generally uh, children that got it. But now it's it's happening to to any age. Mm. Um, they still don't know why it happens. Um, type two it can be more down to genetics or your lifestyle, and there is a possibility of reversing that if if you you know begin a healthy lifestyle. Yes, and it's more manageable. Mm. Not necessarily taking injections for type two, so there are two different uh, situations. And uh, but uh, the the uh, prognosis can be bad for both if, if you don't attend to it you know mm. so but one is the more serious type well of that's diabetes. what they say yeah it just means there's a lot more attention needed for type one because you're in, injecting daily and and that's the i suppose that's the, the big difference mm. mm-hmm. has it been life lim- limiting in and lim- you know has limited your life in any way no no de- definitely not um and i suppose that's what i'm trying to do more with with uh now that I am diabetic I'm trying to do a lot more I've always been healthy I always played football sports etc but um, it shouldn't really stop anyone um, I can understand if you get it when you're a lot younger mm. and growing up but it, it's, it could be more difficult but um, as an adult um, I, I'm not letting it stop me really do a whole lot mm. We're going to talk about that in a moment mm. I want to take a short break if you're affected by this are you diabetic type 1 or 2 if you've anything to say on this we love to hear from you always on late lunch don't forget our contact numbers 1850 if you'd like to call in you can also get in touch with us by text or WhatsApp 086-1800-658 for your messages and we'll read them and we promise you when we get them from you uh, we're staying with this subject because it is World Diabetes Day Carl Fleming is with me you've been hearing his personal story but he's going to tell you what he's doing to make sure that he lives as normal a life as possible 
World Diabetes Day and Cahill Fleming is with us. He was diagnosed with type 1 just two years ago and we've been listening to his story and thank you whoever you are who sent us a message there to WhatsApp 086-1800-658 about their daughter Cahill she was saying mm-hmm. diagnosed at 9 years of age yeah. she's 31 years of age now and doing mm-hmm. very well with it but all you're saying resonating so much she says with them as they listen to you today yeah. you know um, you, you are a sportsman you played football I suppose when something like this hits you you start to think well where am I going what am I going to do you're involved in something very special now and you're mm-hmm. turning this diabetes into something very positive yeah. tell us about this futsal project well there's a tournament every year in Europe called uh, Dia Euro and it's all European countries take part international teams for players with diabetes type 1 or type 2 over 18 and uh, it's an indoor soccer event and I noticed there wasn't an Irish team involved so we decided to set, set it up myself so that's what we're in the process of doing now so we've had one session so far in the National uh, Indoor Arena in, in Abbottstown which is a fantastic facility and we're just getting used to I suppose learning the, the difference in the rules between uh, 11 side football and uh, indoor futsal what it's called so that's the, the plan at the moment to try and recruit more players and try out for the squad and hopefully next uh, summer we'll get to the tournament and um, take part then for the first time. So you're turning this sort of negative that you've overed into a very positive in your life and trying to get others involved with you as well. What was the response like when you put it out there? How many came forward? Um, Yeah, I've been really happy with the response because I didn't know what size pool of players Mm -hmm. we'd we'd, we'd be uh, drawing from. But so far we've about 30 plus in the group um, our first session we had about 15 or 16 turn up and they came from Cork, Galway, Limerick, uh, all around the country. So that was really heartening to see people travel for it. Um, so we, we're still recruiting. As I said, we're going to have another session at the end of this month and uh, we'll keep going till um, the new year. And in the new year, then we'll, we'll start looking at a squad to bring uh, to the tournament, um, hopefully in Bosnia next July. Terrific. So a great response and a first session. It's for over 18s. That's mm-hmm. for men and women, both. That's right, yeah. And if anybody listening today is living with diabetes, mm-hmm. you're welcome to contact. And we'll we let yeah. you know how you can get in touch with Cahal in, in a couple of moments. Um, here's the thing, and I, I, I want to tell listeners this because you have told me. You've only got a response from people who are living with type 1 diabetes. Why is that? Um well, something similar happened with the UK team. They advertised this year as well, and they only had type 1s come forward, even though it's only a very small percentage of diabetics are type 1. Um, I don't know if that's down to maybe the stigma that's around um, type 2s. Generally, they, they could be seen as being unfit, but it's so important that people with diabetes uh, continue to exercise and keep fit. So we really want uh, any diabetics to... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Come forward and, and try out for the team. Okay. So, at the end of the day, how many will you be able to incorporate on a panel? And then, how many is in futsal? Is it six a side? Five a side. Five a side. So, it's yeah, indoor. So the indoor. And the squad will be ten players. Okay. Um, but... I, I thought I'd struggle to get to 10 players but now it's it's the opposite <laughs> Yeah, and I can see maybe um, maybe without going too far ahead of myself trying to develop this into a national league where we're, we're travelling around the country having games okay. uh, between maybe provinces or counties yes. etc and that's a long way in, in the future but I've had a really good response and I'm, I think there's more players out there that maybe have, who want to play and want to come forward but they haven't yet yeah. and uh they, they should uh, that's a fantastic vision mm-hmm. may I say and incorporating more people and spreading it nationwide is wonderful so if you know somebody or you live with diabetes and you're curious about this and you might like to want uh, you might want to come along and take part in, in, in the trials that are happening h- how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, well the easiest way is to follow us on our Facebook page it's Dio Euro Ireland or they can email myself at hello at diaeuro.ie and that's spelled D-I-A-E-U-R-O so that's D-I-A-E-U-R-O dot I-E. Yeah. Okay. And Dia Euro is where you get all the information there. Ireland, yeah. You're going to need some money, I take it, That's to right. take part in this tournament. What do you reckon? Money. Well, we, we're budgeting for about €12,000. Okay. Um, so there's a, one of the main expenses is obviously going to we have to bring a doctor with us so that's going to be uh, quite a considerable amount of money for the week for the tournament and after that then there'll be other um, expenses uh, training facilities equipment um, travel expenses mm. as well So How are you going to raise that? Well that's the next step now is we're, we need to start uh, fundraising and finding a sponsorship Yeah. hopefully the, some of the big pharmaceuticals will help us that are mm. um, making diabetic devices or uh, providing insulin Yes. Um, but anyone we, we, we'd like sponsorship from anyone that wants to help us out um, we have the backing of Diabetes Ireland as well, and they've been very good to us so far. Mm. So they're going to help us with the, they're going to manage our, our fundraising and sponsorship for us. When you live with this mm-hmm. and you regulate it, and you're feeling fine, and you go and exert yourself mm-hmm. for how many minutes aside in this in the uh, fight twenty aside? minutes aside? Okay, so it's a forty minute, and you're going. Yeah, and it's, you're, it's you're really non-stop. You know, yeah. on an eleven side pitch, you do get a bit of a break, but on five side, it's just non-stop. So when you have your sugars right and everything mm-hmm. okay. It shouldn't take anything out out of you. No, you, you shouldn't feel any different. And and most of the the, the people involved in have played football before know how to manage themselves before and after and during a game. Mm. Um, so, you know, everybody has a different way of of uh, keeping their levels right. Today, you look fairly fit and healthy to me. And I, I tell you, you have three young children to look after as well. He's a busy man. He runs his own business. Does it bring life into focus when you, you get a diagnosis like this? Yeah, well, I suppose when I was thirty-seven, when I when I got diagnosed a couple of years ago, uh, and as as you said, with, with kids and a business, you just really have to. It's a bit cliche, but you just have to get on with it. Mm. You know, you can't change it, so that's the way it is. And uh, it's it's a shock for the first, certainly for the first twenty-four hours. But after that, you just really have to 
get on with it. Mm. And um, that's what that's what we're planning to do. So the message today on World Diabetes Day is, if you get this news, life doesn't end. It begins, and it's just managing things in a different fashion. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I couldn't put it better myself. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. I just want to tell listeners again, if you want to contact Carl directly, it's hello at diaeuro.ie, D-I-A-E-U-R-O, and the Facebook page is Diaeuro Ireland. Diaeuro Ireland mm-hmm. on Facebook That's is right. the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining me on this very special day. You're a great fella. Good luck to Cheers. you in the future, and please, God, we'll have you back when you're ready to go to Europe and challenge for that title with the Irish team. That'd be great. For the moment, uh, Carl Fleming, thanks for joining us on Late Lunch. I have to tell you that there are some charities I like, others I love, and others, I just say, really get me. And today, it's among the top three in my life anyway, because Mary's Meals does something that's really special. We've heard about it before on Late Lunch, and I want to remind you about it again today, because I'm delighted to welcome back to the show Emer Fell. She's fundraising coordinator for Ireland for Mary's Meals. Emer, it's really good to see you. An absolute pleasure. Thank you Thank so Thank you very much for, much for joining me. me on the show again. Will you just, in your own words, tell people what Mary's Meals is? It's very simple. We're helping starving children in 17 countries around the world basically just get a daily meal. And we choose to do that in a place of education. The reason for that is because it's bringing them back to school. Not only are they getting the food from Mary's Meals, they're also being educated. And so it's just, it's accumulating then to help them to just one step up that ladder away from poverty. It's very simple. We feed in a place of education so that they'll have a future. How many countries are you operating in? We're in 17 countries. So Malawi was our very first country and we're actually feeding over one million children there alone, school children. And um, it's very volunteer based as well. I think that's what's very special about Mary's Meals. We wouldn't survive without our volunteers. And I don't mean just in, in Ireland where we have incredible people, but in Malawi, for instance, those kids wouldn't be fed without volunteers. We have over 80,000 volunteers alone who wake up, burn the fires, cook the food and serve it to those children then every day. How many did you start? This started small. Yeah, will, will, I, will I give you the... Yes, please. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so our founder and CEO, he's now the global CEO. There's lots of changes since I saw you last, Jerry. Um, him and his brother Fergal in the year 1992 were having a pint in a tiny little pub in a lovely little place called Argyle in Scotland. And what's his name again? Magnus MacFarlane Barrow. It's yes. a real good, strong it's Scottish good name. Scottish name. And um, on the tiny little TV in the corner was the Bosnian War unfolding. And they just really were compelled. It just wouldn't leave them. They spoke about it all night long. And then within three weeks, they were on a convoy to uh, Medjugorje, Medjugorje rather, in Bosnia-Herzegovina to deliver aid. So what they had done in the space of those three weeks was ask this tiny little village to help. So give goods, materials, clothes, food, medicine, etc. And they asked their father, could they borrow his shed? So this all unfolded in three weeks and they're on a convoy. The lads come back after two weeks and realised that this small little village had kept giving while they were away, like in their absence. And the father's shed was packed. So Magnus again just thought, you know, I can't really leave, just can't stop. So he sold a small house, took a gap year, gap year I say in inverted commas, and um, he bought a small truck, bought a small Land Rover actually, and continued this for another year. But it actually just grew and grew and grew that he actually had to open up a charity called Scottish International Relief, which carried him forward to 2002. So while in Malawi in 2002, he was visiting this family 
Emma was the mother and Edward was her son, her eldest son, and she had five other children. Unfortunately, Emma was very, very sick and dying of AIDS. And kind of to lighten the mood, he asked Edward, as you would ask any 14-year-old, 13, 14-year-old boy or girl, you know, what what do you want in life? Because it seems like a perfectly normal question to ask a teenager. And Edward just answered, I just want enough to eat and to go to school. And so was born Mary's Meals. So in Malawi in 2002, we were feeding 200 children. Then we go to 2010, we're feeding 400,000 children. 2011, we're feeding 500,000 children. 2012, we're feeding 700,000 children. And then today, I can announce that we're now feeding 1,361,586 children every single school day. And the reason I say the whole figure as opposed to 1.3, I think I've always said this to you before, is because every child counts. And that's what Magnus always says. It's always about the next child and the next child and the next child. Because currently there's 61 million, 61 million children out of school and starving in this world. You know, we're only God Almighty. Yeah, we, I don't think people realise. You know, that we're we're very lucky. We are very very lucky. So what we strive to do, Jerry, is to help as many children as we can, and we're doing that in seventeen countries. So started in one in Malawi, but now we're actually over one million children there. We're feeding, and now we've grown to seventeen countries. It's an unbelievable story from that first conversation. Exactly, often just a conversation, just a simple conversation. And I know this wonderful mug you have and, and you <laughs> yes. know, this mug is the thing. Here, here is this mug and this mug is filled each day and a full mug of nutritious food mm-hmm. is life-saving to a child. Oh, absolutely. Uh, often um, people will ask, you only give one meal But you have to understand that for us, if you decided to cut away our three meals and give us one meal, it would be a disaster because we're used to having so much food in our bellies. These kids are not used to it. So if we actually gave them three meals a day, it would be counteractive. So the reason they get, as you said, a nutritious meal and each meal is different to the country, meaning if it's India, it's rice and beans, what they would be able to cook Mm. for themselves if they could actually you know, afford it or find it. So um, the mug you refer to, it's called Lucchini Fala. It's a maize-based porridge. And that's why, yeah, you, you, we often have taken pictures together holding yes. this mug. And um, yeah, it's a very significant to us in our charity, but also obviously in our feeding programmes. Um, we use it as a collection box. So a lot of primary school kids would take them and secondary school kids and a lot of families actually mm. just to have them in their home. So they get fed where they are educated. Mm-hmm. So it's doing both that that young man said... To Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It your just, boss, exactly, Magnus. It just stuck with him. He just stayed with him. That was it. And that's he says, I'm going to do that for as yeah. many children as possible. Yeah, because from from ninety two to two thousand and two, he had actually delivered over ten million euro worth of aid to several countries around the world, predominantly in Africa through different wars mm. and etc. Um, and that's why it brought him to Malawi. They were they were in the middle of the, one of the biggest famines they'd ever seen in two thousand and two. How much does it cost to feed a child? It only costs fifteen euro and sixty cent. So people probably feed a child for a long, Emma. An entire school year. Now, folks, just listen <clears throat> to this: fifteen euro and sixty cent feeds a child mm-hmm. that gets education, mm-hmm. gives that child hope for the future. 
Yeah, and the statistics have proven it. You know, we've done, obviously we've done massive amounts of, massive amounts of reports, but particularly in Malawi, because as I, as, as I said, like that was our first country, so an awful lot of work has been done there. Um, and it's proven, you know, the kids are coming back to school. 98% of children have come back to school uh, in India, which is just, we particularly love this figure. Um, schools, girls were just not kind of expected to go to school. Not you know, on the radar. No, not at all. But where Mary's Meals is feeding, the attendance is 50-50. Isn't that And just we just love that. You know, it's tremendous. just... This works. That's what I'm saying. Absolutely. This absolutely works. Yeah. This concept works. And the great thing about this charity, which I love, what is it? 95 <coughs> or something percent of 93, money? 93 cent of every euro goes into 90, our charity. I, I knew activities. it was in there. <coughs> 93 cent of every mm-hmm. euro goes directly to these children. And that is a given. And that is huge. It's yeah. a tiny amount of administration. And there's no, absolutely. And there's no, you know, it's all up there on the website anyway yes. for people to see marysmeals.ie. It's, it's, um, you know, it's as transparent as you mm. can possibly be. And At this stage, many have moved through the education systems mm-hmm. where they are. Tell us about that girl you were... Veronica. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mentioned to Jerry during the break, folks, that... Um, we have a we have a lovely video or sorry film called Generation Hope. It came out in two thousand sixteen. You you can get it online as well. And um, Veronica is a girl from Malawi. She was fed uh, one of the first children to receive food actually in Malawi in two thousand and two. So now fast forward, and she's actually in college. She 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 got a scholarship to college. And um, there's a clip in the video where she says, "I'm going to paraphrase because I don't want to quote in case I get one or two words wrong, but I don't want to be a nobody anymore. I want to be a somebody." And food allowed me to, to do that and the power of education. And this line just, I don't know, it broke my heart when I heard it, but it was a bittersweet moment as well because she she did it. Like, she did it. She worked hard. Mary's Meals helped her in that process by feeding her, but she did the hard work herself. And it just proves that you can. You can step up that ladder away from poverty. Mm. And... Um, I think the hardest part is a lot of these children don't have parents. Famine took them, AIDS took them. You know, a lot of them are being reared by grandparents or aunts or uncles or often, as we found in our first film, Child 31, Letty. She was a 12-year-old girl and she was rearing her younger siblings. 12. You know, that's... I don't know, I just... The thought doesn't even... I, I, I was 12 when my brother was was 8. I, no way could I have accomplished taking care him of him when you think no. of taking care of a number of siblings yeah. as well and you know people will often say well look at what's going on we have to continue with this aid mm. year on year decade on decade what about their own governments is nothing being done there you have to realise that in Africa governments you know don't have the resources that uh, no, we and, do and, here and often unfortunately a lot of governments if you're sending money to the government I'm not mentioning anybody or anything yes. just often it happens that that money doesn't see doesn't get no. down to where it's no, needed and that's well. why we have people in country so it, people were probably wondering well how do we make sure this happens it's because we have people in country we have programme directors in country mm. uh, the food is locally sourced locally produced everything is local the only country we don't manage to do that in and it's purely because it's logistically 
impossible with the infrastructure present is Liberia. Yes. So we get it from the neighbouring country. And I'm just listening to what you're saying. You have uh, governments without much uh, financial mm. muscle. You also have corruption there as well. We know that. Absolutely. And that happens in every country. Look at our own country. Yeah. You have to watch the television last <laughs> yeah. night and look at corruption yes. to the highest level in this country as well. But we can't stand by. We can't just no. allow this to providence. We have to help our fellow man. That is the message. It's, it's And also... We were all children once and there's also children, you know, we, we see children every day and all you have to think of is that, that child you're looking at in another country who doesn't have anything. The Shed That Fed a Million People. It's a great title, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's it's about the first million children that Magnus and Mary's Meals fed. Um, it's a wonderful insight into the charity, into how it started. The people have helped along the way like that were instrumental in helping like there's one lady with a helicopter it's a very interesting read um but also for me obviously i know magnus and he's a, an absolute gentleman but this is a it's a really lovely personal insight to his own mm. journey as well as Mary's Meals. And you can support the charity by buying that book and we're going to tell you where you can get it in a moment. Yeah. It's only a tenner, isn't it? For the, yeah, it, it, uh, yes. it retails on Amazon. I think it could be even €8. Euro. We yes. retail it from the, from the office. Okay. It's €10. Euro, okay, that's there. This uh, little lovely little uh, strap line of yours, Little Acts of, of love. love. Tell me yeah. about that. That's what Magnus calls it. So, for instance, let's say you, Jerry, decide to feed one child because... You were out in a restaurant and somebody was having an argument and just right then and there you realised, OK, hold on a second, I'm watching something stupid unfold. I'm going to do something good instead. It's a bad example, but yeah. um, he he says that's a little act of love that came out of something mm, that wasn't great mm, or yeah. um, little acts of kindness. He always calls it little acts of love and little acts of kindness. So for me, one of my favourite little acts of love was um, I had only started this job in 2015 and about two months into it, I got a beautiful card from a little girl, an eight-year-old girl who had just made her Holy Communion. And she gave, it was then €14.50. Euro she gave €14.50 euro out of her communion money because her mammy had told her about Mary's meals and she said, if I can help one child my age for the next year, that's what I want to do. And it was the same day that we had actually received a, a, a very large sum of money. Which do you think stood out in my mind and has still, t- not that we didn't appreciate the large sum of money, know, good Lord, but I know. it was, um, that's, so that was a little act of little love. Girl's a little act gesture. of love. Exactly, exactly. It's so, very special. Absolutely. And all these little acts of love and little acts of kindness, they all come together and this is, this is what mm. we have today. Oh, by the way, if you have a few pounds knocking around just to say that. <laughs> Mary's Meals will love you as much too, to be honest. What about this uh, special Christmas campaign that's happening this year? Yeah, we call it Big Family Christmas. And the reason it's called Big Family Christmas is because Mary's Meals is one big family across the seven countries that we're feeding in, across the 15 countries where we have affiliate offices, across the five fundraising countries. We're just, we're all in it for the same reason. We're made up of different backgrounds, races, languages, and we're just all striving for the same thing. One big family. So out of one big family, or sorry, big family Christmas, you can buy Christmas cards to help Mary's Meals, which will obviously go into the feeding programme. You can buy gift cards. The gift gift cards are actually a lovely idea. Um, so let's say you wanted to give a gift card to somebody about Mary's Meals instead of a present. So you pay €15.60 for the gift card and you give it then to, let, let's say you were giving it to me, Jerry. You give it to Ema on behalf of feeding one child for a year and then the Christmas cards are 10 for 5 euro you can buy all of these online or call call the office or email the office I'll mm. give you the details there at the very end um, hold a Christmas lunch one of my favourite things with this campaign is you can set a virtual 
dinner table, a plate at a dinner table. And the idea is then you can go online and you can see all the dinner tables that have been set from around the world of Mary's Meals family. So it's just a really sweet idea. And it's a time of year. I think it's so important. We we all think at this time of year, you know, the run up to Christmas, it's less than six weeks now. It's crazy to think it's that short Mm. or far away, but yet not. Um, We just think. We think of how lucky we've been in the year. We think of how blessed we've been in the year. And um, that's why Big Family Christmas really stands out. And I know in Ireland people struggle. There are many, many people struggling in Ireland today. Homeless people, we have that issue on our doorstep. We have people who are snowed under massive debt still and in trouble with their homes from the the crash as well. And things are picking up in Mm -hmm. aspects of life. And some people are doing really well. Some people have a lot of money stashed away. Others battle through every day. And we understand that in the context of all we're talking about here. But when you think of a child in these countries that has absolutely nothing, hasn't even or the family or whoever's looking at the wherewithal to put food in their belly, just mm-hmm. food in their belly to keep them alive. Never mind education, which is part and parcel yeah. of this, for €15.60 to feed the child for a term in school. Yeah, and I think that's For a why, year, isn't it? Over uh, a year. Yeah, for, sorry, for a school year. For yeah. a school year, yeah. a full year. I think that's why the Big Family Christmas campaign always kind of works well because the gift card, you're simply giving a gift of feeding a child for a year to somebody as opposed to Maybe a present that you may never use, yes. a material good you don't need. Yep. No disrespect to the presents we receive, but often, you know, sometimes it's just fantastic to do a good deed mm. on behalf of your friend or yes. your family or an acquaintance or a colleague. And for a child somewhere in the world that yeah. you're giving hope to. I say this again, you're, you're feeding them, you're keeping them alive, you're putting them into a scenario where they'll be educated and look what can happen. There are many, many, multiple stories we've mentioned. Yeah. One that, if you want to go into this and really find out the difference it's made to so many people's lives that where children are now going on into ed- education and changing their lives and others in the future yeah. as well. And that's the key. You know, mm. they're learning as well. Yeah. So they're learning what Mary's Meals did for them and then they move on. Like I'll really, really quickly, we've got Jimmy in Haiti and he was in a school, a very, very large school. I mean, Haiti was voted the worst place in in the world a few years ago. He used to have to swim across the river so that he wouldn't be shot across the bridge to school. That's how determined they were to go to school. Jimmy is now the principal of his school. So there you go. There Isn't is a that good good story. And, another, it, and it's not just, you know, no, no, it's, it's, not. it's a true story. And it's multiple stories. So give them the details. Okay, how so can they support Mary's Meals? Very simply, go online, marysmeals.ie. Or if you're somebody who likes to talk, we love to hear people on the phone. We really do. Because, you know, sometimes it's better anyway. Um, you can contact David, Jeannie or myself on 018535163. Or if you prefer an email, it's Ireland at marysmeals.ie It's been a pleasure to meet you again today on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Really, honestly, I really, truly appreciate it. I'm thrilled to support Mary's Meals at any time. Emer Fell, thanks a million. Thank you. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie You know, on late launch, I'll let you into a little secret. Some days we're up there racking our heads. What are we going to do on the show today? What are we going to talk about? 
And there's things that get listeners animated. And there's nothing that will animate listeners more than dog poo. And especially dog poo on the streets of Dundalk, RD, Navin, Kells and Drogheda. We'll have people coming on by the new time by text and on the phone saying, it's disgraceful, it's shocking. Now, I hope at this stage the message has uh, gotten across to most people who have dogs to lift your poop. Don't leave it on the streets. It's horrendous. But there's poop to be lifted in your back garden if your dog is well and if you're visiting somewhere or on a beach, all those places. Now, let me tell you that some people don't like lifting it up and maybe don't like the feel of it. You know what I'm talking about? Well, help is at hand because I have a gentleman with me on the show today who's invented something very special. It's called the Mighty Mouth Pooper Scooper. And I want to say hello on late lunch this afternoon to Darren Louis Pfizer. Darren, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Not at all. Well, well, well. Let's step back. You have dogs, have you? I do. I have dogs. I have a big uh, Samoyed Husky. It's a big white oh, fluffy. Oh, big dog. dog. It's a big dog. Big poop. And I have six children. As well. And it's a bad combination in your back garden. Because it leads... Well, usually because I'm, sometimes I'm away for a few days, I might be at work. Yeah. And I'd come back and there's poop in the garden. And then the kids walk out and they play in the garden. And it's quite dangerous. It actually is on a serious note. You should never leave dog poo resting in your garden under any circumstances. Not good for children as well. There's a danger with eyesight and things as well can be affected. And it's not nice anyway. No, and there's a whole... And it's it's always been an issue. You know, nowadays people become more aware of it. You don't get Mm. the white dog poo in the streets that you used to see back in the 80s and 90s. So people are more aware of it. But there's just something about putting your hand around a warm soggy poo and not only that it's the it's i call it the walk of shame you always see the middle-aged mothers or the that fathers walking down on the front in black rock walking with the dog with the bag of dog poop <laughs> arms length you know trying to find the bin scurrying to put it into yeah so yeah. uh and then you get people that just don't pick it up you mm. know and uh and years ago I was in the US as a pet trade show and I noticed there was some loads of pooper scoopers, loads of people. This is like a, this is, this has been wrecking people's head for years. And when I was looking at the products, I was like, these are all really, really poop. <laughs> excuse, the, excuse the pun. <laughs> you poo pooed the scoopers. And, and I you men- didn't like that. I, I mentioned to the missus, I was like, hey, sweetheart, if we could ever design a pooper scooper, you know, we, we'd, we'd really kill kill the market with a cool product mm. and uh, that was in the back of my mind but then with the kids walking and the, you know stepping in the garden and there was always a fight over who picked up the poop when we went for a walk because you just you if you don't pick up the poop and people see you not pick up like nowadays there's a big social responsibility yes. and, and other parents or people will look at you like and when your dog poops they're not watching the dog they're watching you to make sure you pick it up you are so, dead right Darren so listen tell me this how did this because you have the mighty mouth pooper scooper and uh, prototypes here with you uh, uh, with me on the show today how did this idea come about well it was really it was, it was always in the back of our mind it would be really cool if we could develop products in this in the pet industry and especially in the in the poop industry as well and uh, it was it was last January we were sitting in the garden I was drinking a glass of wine the kids were you know the backlight was on the kids were picking up the snails and uh, it was actually Jolie my missus as part of this first uh, she, she was looking at the kids and the kids had picked up broken tennis balls which our dog Bailey had chewed up and they looked like little Pac-Men and they were they were picking up snails with the tennis balls and they were scooping them up and she was like whoa can we just invent us a pooper scooper and I looked at him and I I fell off my chair and I covered myself in red wine 
Uh, but I didn't mind because like that's a really good idea. And uh, and I have a, about 18 years experience in product design. So mm. six months later, I had my first prototypes made. And and is that a prototype there, or are you now producing this? This is it's still a prototype. We are we are we. I do have potential orders in the USA. Yes, uh, but they they want a couple of samples. So I'm getting samples made for them first. But I am launching it on uh, Kickstarter. Hold that, hold that prototype up there. Take the plastic off his face till I take a picture of it. Hold, hold it out here to me in the camera. Yeah, a let smile. me let me get a live. Turn him down a little bit down that we can. See. Oh yeah, I can see his eyes. Then <laughs> smile at me there till I take a so picture. He, look, he looks like a Pac-Man. Oh, it's a great thing. Sinead's going to come in and take that picture now and put it up straight away on social media, so as our customers can see, or your perhaps potential customers can see what we're talking about. So this is like a Pac-Man. Yes, to all effects and purposes well actually it did look more like a Pac-Man first and then when I took it to the USA in, in June and I showed it to a few people they said you know make it look like a smiley face it's yeah. just dying so I, I did so and uh, it, so actually, it actually looks like a smiley face it is a smiley face and look at it could be a, you could look at it and think it's a nice toy for a child but anyway it opens it's it's the tennis ball concept uh, that's a tennis ball not fully broken but split half the way around it it opens up it's still connected that one part and it opens up like a mouth now how does this work there's a plastic bag there as well explain yeah well Essentially, what happens is when you squeeze a rubber ball that's cut in half, it opens up like a mouth. Yes, so he's so, opening so, it now. He's so, squeezed it. So, it opens up. So it actually, you can actually create a Pac-Man effect. So when okay. I do it cider, they look like a look like a Pac-Man's <laughs> trying to eat me. Now, what we did was because there was no internal mechanisms, because all the opening and closing mechanism was done with your hands and the yeah. rubber, and it allowed us to uh, have the bags. So you still have a roll of biodegradable bags in there. So you do. So there's a little sort of barrel at the uh, beneath it, and there's a roll of bags in there, and the bags feed into the Pac-Man. Yeah. And what you're doing now is taking the bag out the Pac-Man's mouth. Yeah. And you're going to wrap it round his head. Is that the idea? Yeah. So it's actually the bags come out almost like a tongue. Yes. And then it opens up and it wraps it around. I see that. So you've literally got a Pac-Man covered in a plastic bag. And you open his mouth again and the bag is there. And what you do is you put that down on the poop. Is that it? Yeah, and, you, and you, literally your fingers are away from it and it just scoops it up. But because there's magnets in the mouth, it snaps shut. So the poop is kept inside the rubber ball. And then you can also seal the bag so you don't see it, you don't touch it. And then you don't have to do the walk of shame. You literally put it back in your lead. It looks like a nice soft ball. If it bangs around, it doesn't matter. It's pretty much indestructible. And you don't have to, it's out of sight. And then when you get to a bin, you simply just, because it's on a roll of bags, just like any yeah. roll of bin bags, you literally just pull it out. You can hear the snap And there. your poop is in the bag. And you just, and you just it deposit it in the bin. Yeah, and a spider grade of a bag. Uh, so it, it breaks down much faster in, in, a, in a couple of months as opposed to a normal poop bag, which could take, you know, 20, 30 years to break down. So... But because the bag wraps around the ball, the ball always stays clean. Yes. So it's. Actually- I was going to ask you, see, you've beaten me now. I had that on my question. I said, I'm going to poo-poo this invention by asking them, what do you do when you have to clean it? You don't. The bag is inside there and the the actual uh, ball or sphere never gets dirty. Yeah. Simple and, as that. And it's actually, it's mad because before we would have fights over who picks up the poo and it always ended up being my job. Yeah. You know, but now... I've, I've got a, I've got millions of kids. So and they, and they fight over who picks it up because it's because it's actually fun now to pick up. Dog I just wonder now, have you really hit on something interesting here? You 
haven't started producing yet. They they are you have a number of prototypes. Is that it? That you- uh, well, the, it's fully functional prototypes. So it's, okay. re- it's ready to go to production. It's ready to go. But what I'm doing is in in January, I'm launching a Kickstarter. So because tooling will have started in January anyway. So by the time the Kickstarter is finished, I'll, I'll have I'll be ready to produce and supply product. Mm. But while uh, but while it's being produced, it'll allow me a couple of months or well thirty days to sell the product. Mm. And I'm offering uh, Kickstarter special editions, and and I was I was chatting to a lady earlier on, mentioned maybe we could do an LMFM giveaway or something. Yes. When when a Kickstarter. Yeah. So the way Kickstarter works is you can pre-order it. So a lot of companies have sold you know tens of thousands of products on Kickstarter yes. a year before they're ready. But I'm different. I have the product ready. I just need the f- to produce it. Mm. And Kickstarter is a great way to get... So in other words, you'll kickstart, uh, people will pre-buy, that will give you the money then to go and produce? That will give me uh, the money to produce more. Yeah. Because okay. at the moment there's only one range and Kickstarter will allow me to produce the whole range because we've actually five different versions of product. And and what do you mean by different versions? How can well, you there's, vary there's, this? there's bigger ones, there's smaller ones. For different sizes of dogs and different sizes of poops. Yes. And there's also different styles for... Because you know, this the yellow one's more for the female market, and then the black one. This is an early prototype. That's for the, the boys, is it? Well, it will actually have a, a yellow smiley face on it, and it has right. a light on it as well. I see and the it looks light. Like, it looks like something out of a Star Wars movie. <laughs> so it's kind of a little more, you know, it's it, it, it's just it's, it's actually, and it's. I know someone's going to hack it, and you can actually hack it. You can actually use it to carry your tennis ball if you don't want to touch the soggy tennis ball. You can use it to carry treats. So, if you those, want. so if you're not walking the dog, and you're going to play tennis. You can bring one of these, which as well, and stick your tennis ball. It's multifunctional. Now, you were a man of many inventions, and have been over the years, and stood before the dragons and dragons den in your time. I know as well. Do you feel you're really onto something here? You know, you, you you've produced prototypes here. I see where you're coming from. Is there a market for this? Oh yeah, I've I've researched the hell out of this product and the market as well. It, there's a lot of there's a lot, it's a big market in dog poop. Mm. It's it's it's, a, it's a, uh, roughly about a quarter of the population in every country has. So dogs. the thing is, the USP there has to be a USP with something. What is this US? Is it is it what you're saying that the people don't like the feel of picking up the feces? Yes. Well, there's a combination. Some people don't mind it and some people do mind it. So you can't keep everybody happy. What the USP in this is really, it's just a really fun, cool, hygienic way to pick up dog poop. That's basically it. Because someone asked, what's your, you know, there is bags, there is shovels, there is a, but this is something that you can take with you. But it's also very visual. People will see, yeah. hey, that person's got a mighty mess. They pick up their dog poop. So there's, there's an advertising to, to people to say, I'm, I'm a good pet parent as well as... It just looks really cool. I could see them using this in Chelsea and Knightsbrook in London, for example, in LA, you know, where the stars are, and it just takes off. You were in America, you said you saw what they have. Does this beat anything you've oh, seen? Oh, yeah, there? yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's. See, the problem with other products is that they're just too big and bulky. And you just basically ask some of the question, would you carry that with you? And some of them are just absolutely, some of them are like robot arms. Some of them are actually, some people actually put nappies on their dogs. Other people actually clip bags onto their tails and the dog <laughs> poops into the bag. It's hilarious. And some of them just look wrong. Other ones, you just look wrong with mm. it. Where this one is just it's designed that it's always on your lead. It's unbreakable. It's made from rubber. And it just it just looks cool and neat. And it's and it's compact as well. So it's it's really, it's just... How much will you sell that for? Well, for the larger ones, for the big one, for the big dogs, because it's bigger, it's, it costs more to manufacture. Roughly, be, 
about 25 to about 28 euros. Okay. And for the smaller ones, for the medium small dogs, about 22 euros. And, uh, uh, but then the bag, the bag refills, uh, they're EPI bags or cornstarch bags. They're actually, they're extremely competitive priced. Mm. You can get like 360 EPI bags for 10 euros. So for nothing really. Who's going to make it for you? How are you going to distribute it? Who's going to sell it on the front line? Oh, well, I have a website, mightymetpet.com. Okay. So, uh, originally I'm going to sell it in Kickstarter. Now, for the first uh, people that come to Kickstarter and order it, it's not ready till January. Yeah. But if you email me now at darren at mightymetpet.com, I can put you on an emailing list and I can set you up for the first order, which is... Which which you get more you get more bags and you get more for okay. your for your money. So that's uh, Darren at mightymouth dot com. Mightymouthpet. Mightymouthpet dot com. Very important to put that pet in there. Darren at mightymouthpet.com If you want to find out more, get on the list for this. And then ultimately, beyond Kickstarter and that, I'm sure you'll want to retail this. Yes. Oh yeah. Well, uh, see, it's the world is different for products than it was back in mm. the 90s and 80s and actually the early 90s. 40% of everything's bought online and uh, especially in the, in the pet industry. Yeah, so, okay. So that's so, your big area, is it? So I, I stick it up on Amazon. Yes. And, people, and the way like, it goes from there. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, Amazon in the USA, Amazon in Europe. And yes, there's pet retailers uh, around, you mm. know, there's pet retailers in Germany. You know, there's a lot of pet retailers like PetSmart and Petco in, in, in the USA which have thousands of stores. Yeah, of course, if they want it, I'll give it to them. Who's making it? At the moment, at the moment, uh, I've sourcing a few different manufacturers. I've, uh, I've actually a manufacturer who, who can produce it in Ireland and I'm just comparing costings. Yeah. Uh, I also sourcing manufacturing in the USA as well. Really, it's all about the bottom line. You know, if I manufacture something and it costs $6 or $10 yeah. to produce, it's too expensive. So it, could be China. It hopefully, will be Ireland. Yeah. Uh, so you have Ireland. a number of options there. At this yeah. Point in time. Be interesting to see how Brexit goes. Well, and you'll know about that. I think sooner rather than later. At this stage, you're mighty. You really are because you're always thinking. And look at the way you spotted or your wife spotted that. Uh, concept with your own children in the garden picking up snails and a tennis ball and look what you have today I congratulate you on it pooping scoop or scooping poop will never be the same again when the mighty mouth hits the market in January I wish you well thank you for joining me on the show no thank you very much you're very welcome it's uh, Darren Louis Pfizer there we've been talking to on late lunch that's a lot on the show for this uh, Wednesday afternoon have a nice evening Eddie's up next with the drive and we'll see you for late lunch Thursday half one the Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.